leave you alone. Hey, I need to run a few errands. Can you watch my dog? Again? All right, I'm out to you now. No, I see you guys were holding in the laughter. You were like, nope. He made a point of saying that last week. I'm not laughing. I'm not going to do it. Some people laughed prematurely, like when the video first started. I appreciate your efforts this morning. Thank you for that. Um, we are so excited to be finishing up our series, Relational Vampires. And we have covered a lot of ground in the last three weeks. And this morning, uh, I am truly excited uh, to share with you what God's Word has to tell us this morning. If you have your Bible, uh, and I do hope that you do, open up to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23, and we'll be going there in just a minute. I have to take just a small moment for a dad moment. I'm pretty excited about this, and so um, I didn't want to say anything before because the kids were in here, but um, uh, Anthony, um, just kind of be praying for Anthony this morning. Uh, he's here. He's down in junior church. Um, he is actually, uh, he was helping out, going to help out in the class, and they didn't need him, and so he was going to help in, uh, he went on the junior church. Well, he was asked to share the gospel part of the message this morning uh, in junior church, and so he's going to be kind of sharing that this morning, and so uh, he came running up to me, so excited, and he said, Dad, I get to, I get to do part of the teaching today in class, and so um, I told him, I said, well, listen, no, no jokes that are bad jokes. Just obviously kidding, because every pastor I know tells really bad jokes, okay? No, it just, I'm just so excited for him. And uh, I told Sandra, I leaned over, I said, would it be wrong if I just left at like 1140 and just told someone else to take over so I can go down there and hear that? But I'll uh, be praying for Anthony. He's super excited this morning, and I'm, I'm really excited that he's taken advantage of that opportunity uh, to share the gospel this morning with his class. And so uh, just excited about that. Uh, we've talked, as I've said already, a lot uh, over the last three weeks. We've covered uh, the idea of controlling people, that there are people in our life that just try to control us. They try to manipulate us. They try to take advantage of us. And we talked about what, how do we deal with people like that in a, in a loving way, to still show them we love them, to still make sure they know that we love them. But how do we deal with that? We went to some examples in Scripture, and even Jesus experienced this with the Apostle Peter, tried to control Jesus. When Jesus said, I have to go to the cross, Peter said, Lord, may it never be. You don't know what you're talking about, Lord, trying to control him, and he didn't even realize he was doing it. Then we talked about the idea of critical people. What do we do when people are just critical to us? Uh, sometimes, and oftentimes, and most of the time, we don't say anything. Uh, it's the oftentimes when you receive criticism from somebody, there's no relationship. There's no reason to kind of put a lot of weight into what they're saying. There's no reason to give weight to it or even respond to it because you would just end up defending yourself and you don't really need to. So oftentimes we don't say anything to criticism. We just kind of let it. And I know this is difficult for so many of us. Uh, this is difficult for me. Uh, I'm the kind of person that when, when I know something about someone that is mad at me or critical with me, even the, it could be the grocery store attendant like that was mad because I didn't put the money in the right order. Just crazy things. It just can bother me. If I'm not careful and if I'm in the flesh, it will bother me. So I know some of us, we really struggle with that. Just a critical word can really tear us down. So oftentimes we don't say anything. Sometimes we give context. Criticism comes, we give some context, some explanation. Oh, okay, I see where that is. I see why that is that. Okay, we're fine. Sometimes you give context and there's a phrase that I think many of us need to learn to live by sometimes. It's we agree to dis 
agree. You can disagree with someone and still have a relationship, still have a love, still have a friendship and a fellowship, okay? You don't have to agree with somebody 100%. Listen, no spouse is in here, no husband and wife in here agrees on everything 100% of the time, okay? Now, you might be 98, 99, okay? 28, 29% of the things, okay? Um, TV selection as far as what you watch on TV, okay? Some of those, that's some of the biggest fights probably come up about who's who's in control of the remote, you know? That's why I told Sandra we got married. I said, look, we can have a very peaceful, loving marriage if I control the remote control. We're fine. We're fine. But no, when you look at these marriages that we go through, relationships as a whole, sometimes you agree about almost everything, but sometimes you agree about very little about some things and so sometimes you give context and they say, well, I still don't really agree with that. I would do it differently. Okay, we're going to agree to disagree. We're just going to move on then. And sometimes, and maybe because of the relationship you have with the person, there's a trust there. There's a belief there. There's an extension of influence. You've allowed this person into your life. They give you some criticism. Maybe it's coming from even more than one source in your life. And you pray over that and you get in God's word and you say, you know what? Man, they're right. I need to make a change. So critical people, we need to listen to those voices. Sometimes we don't say anything. Sometimes we give context. And sometimes we listen and make a change. We look for wisdom. Last week, we talked about needy people, that there are people in our lives that will just try to drain the life out of you, try to just really take everything from you. It seems like every time you talk to them, they need and they need and they need. And I explained last week, and I pray that you walked out of here with understanding the balance of what we're talking about. As a follower of Christ, this is a very difficult thing to wrestle with because we want to love our neighbor as ourselves. We want to be Christ-like. Listen, the most loving people on planet Earth and the most giving people on planet Earth must be the followers of Christ. We should be the most loving, giving, generous people on the planet. This whole social justice thing that's kind of become a catchphrase. Christianity has been about the the taking care of the needy, the feeding the needy, the feeding the poor, the loving the sick. We've been doing this since the beginning of Christianity. This was a trademark in the early church. When diseases and plagues would wipe through an area, it wasn't the atheists or the agnostics or the pagans that would stay and and help these people. It was the believers, it was the followers of Christ that went into those areas, giving up their own lives to serve those that are in need. So we need to understand that needy people, we need to be very careful here that we love them and encourage them and support them. But for some people in our life, for some people in our relationships, We need to step back and say, okay, if I continue to help this person in every single area that they're asking me to help them, am I really helping them or am I actually hurting them? Am I helping them or am I actually allowing them and enabling them to not trust in Christ for all things, but to trust in me for all things? And then I become arrogant and full of pride as though, look at me, I've rescued them again. We have to be so careful here that we're not stepping outside of what would actually help them. And I'm not going to give a name or anything, but last week I had somebody approach me and say, you know, I just got to tell you that, that thinking through your message today, I, we experienced this, my family experienced this when I was younger, had a sibling that was given into drugs. And there was a point where the parents tried everything, loved and encouraged and supported and tried to let them come back home over and over again. And finally, it was a point where it was becoming unhealthy to the rest of the family Things were being stolen. Stuff was happening like this. It was becoming an influence to other family members. And so 
the parents made a decision that, look, we love you and we care for you and we're here for you, but we can't let you kind of take everyone else down with you, more or less. Made a decision. Listen, this is so hard and it sounds harsh, but we have to understand that true love, real love, isn't always just about giving in. Some true love says, I step back and think and pray, not what is the easiest thing to give this person, but Lord, what's the best thing that this person really needs? And so whether it's controlling people, critical people, needy people, we all have people in our life that we need to understand that you have power in your relationships. You have power in your relationships to redefine the dance if the dance becomes unhealthy. doesn't mean we stop loving them. It means we start setting boundaries. We start talking about these things with them. This morning, we are continuing our theme of people who literally suck the life out of us by discovering how we can love hypocritical people. Hypocritical people. We all agree that of all the difficult people in our area of influence, the person that says one thing and does another drives us crazy. There it is. See, I didn't even finish it. It drives us crazy. I mean, think about this. And this is not just a Christian problem. This is a human problem, right? If we can just be honest for a second, in some area of our life, everyone in this room is a hypocrite in some way. We don't want to be. We don't try to be. We don't plan to be. But in some area of our life, right now, you know how I know this? Because we're not perfect. Whether it's, and think, oh, those Christians, they're hypocrites. I don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Do you go to the grocery store because there's hypocrites there? Do you go to the movies? There's hypocrites there. Do you do this? Do you do that? There's hypocrites everywhere. Okay? I mean, just the world's full of them. Whether it's the, the, the Christian that says one thing and does another whether it's the the person that says one thing and does another, whether it's the nurse that comes in off her smoke break to check your vitals. (laughs) Wait a minute. Can I check your vitals? Because I don't know. This is not right, okay? So when you think about this, it's a mindset. We have to understand that we we all battle with this in some way. We can't do this this morning. Here's what I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. This is not a sermon for someone else. This is a chance for us to look inward and say, God, what are you showing me? How can I live in a way that would honor you? Not perfect. Let me also say this. Underlining everything I'm going to say is grace. Okay? There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. There is no mistake that cannot be overdone with grace. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Overly overflowing pours out. Grace is there to cover any and all sin. But I have to also be real with you this morning and say that when you read the words of Jesus, he had a beautiful way of meeting the sinner right where they were, loving the sinner right where they were, but never once compromised on the sin. Never once said, hey, it's fine that you're sinning. It's no big deal. The woman at the well, we think of that as a beautiful example of coming to a woman that was in need, but did not, and with great compassion and grace and love, did not overlook her sin. And where's your husband? She owned up to her sin. You've answered truthfully. Then he began to expound to her what he had to tell her. So we have to understand this. It's this balance as followers of Christ that we're going to hopefully wrestle through this morning that we need to be gracious and loving, but also stand on the word of God and say, man, I want to be Christ-like. I want to grow to a point of striving to be like him. And so it's not that we're here to point fingers at anyone else. It's here to say that we have a mindset as a Christian then I'm going to walk with Christ in grace, but desire holiness as well. I'm going to walk in grace, but desire holiness. 
A mindset of modern Christianity, however, may be since I am saved by grace, it doesn't matter what I do. A mindset of modern Christianity or the hyper-grace movement says because you are saved by grace, you can do whatever you want, however you want. It doesn't really matter. Just go live your life. Have as much fun as possible. That's the modern Christian mindset. And listen, here's the kicker. If I'm in Christ and I stumble into sin with the wrong mindset, his grace is still for me. My misunderstanding or lack of understanding about his grace and about what he has for me does not change him. Right? What I think of his grace doesn't change his grace. So why then do people live this way? Because they think it's just a get-out-of-jail-free card. I can just do whatever I want. I can sin as much as I want. Who cares? Grace, grace, grace. The other way we look at it is that since I'm never perfect, I'm never going to be perfect, I'm flawed, I have the sin nature in me, and I'm just not perfect, I'm never going to be perfect, so I might as well sin because I'm bound to sin anyway. It's almost like we set ourselves up to sin because we've talked ourselves into the fact that there's no other choice. But the reality is there is another choice. That's the beauty of what the gospel brings, an opportunity to choose, follow Christ or follow self. Without Christ, when, before I knew Christ as Savior, I could only choose self. I could only choose sin. I couldn't choose to avoid it. I don't have the strength in me to avoid that path. But when Christ saves us by his grace, he says, now, because I've given you my Holy Spirit, now you can choose. Will you follow me or will you follow yourself? Paul says it this way. Will you yield your members to sin and unrighteousness or will you yield them to righteousness? There's a choice we have to make. And he gives us all the strength, the equipping, his word, everything needed to make the choice that would honor him. We have to, however, make the choice. The reality is, if the Spirit dwells in us, we should see less and less hypocritical behavior in our lives. We should see less and less. I'm not saying it's not going to be there. I'm not going to say that as we're growing, we're, we're not going to discover areas in our life where we realize, oh, why did I do that? Isn't that great, though, that we always ask ourselves that question? Did you ever do something really dumb? Like, <laughs> really dumb. And then you go, what was I thinking? Why would I even do that? You say something, why would I even say that? I just was listening to the news very rarely, and someone was talking about a story they heard, and the person said, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe somebody would do that. It was this tragedy that someone committed a crime, and I don't remember the situation, but the person being interviewed said, I just can't believe somebody would do that, that a person would do that to somebody else. And I sat back and I looked at Sandra. I said, it's a tragedy, and it breaks my heart that somebody was victimized and all those things, but is that really the, can we really not understand I mean, just study the history of the 20th century. Look at the number of people that have been murdered and killed and just the violence in humanity. And we sit back today and say, I can't believe some... We should very much be able to believe that somebody can do something very hurtful to someone else. So what do we do about that? How do we live in a way that we love someone that is hypocritical in our lives, but also encourage them for how they should or could, maybe that's a better word, could be experiencing life in a whole new way? Matthew chapter 23 and verse 28. Listen to Jesus' words here as he's speaking to these religious leaders, these that thought they were fine. Matthew 23 and verse 28. In verse 27, he sets up the context with scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, if you will, he calls them hypocrites. Then verse 28, he says, Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you shall, you, uh, 
uh, are full, excuse me, of hypocrisy and iniquity. Iniquity is just a word for sin. It says, man, outwardly you look really righteous. People think you're righteous, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and sin. I'm going to ask that we would pray and ask God to just speak to our hearts to this topic, that we would grow in an understanding of living in a, a mindset of grace and forgiveness, but also striving for holiness and Christ-likeness. Father, we ask that you would speak to us as only you can. Lord, I know in my own life there's areas, whether it be in health and wellness, uh, Lord, where I know I should maybe uh, do this to stay fit or do this to be healthy. Um, I know there's areas in how I desire to, to speak to other people, but sometimes, Lord, if I'm being honest, that, that sin nature rises up, that flesh rises up, and I react in a, a quick word, I snap at someone, Lord, in, in anger. Uh, Lord, it's just hypocr- it's hypocrisy, Lord. It's, just, it's, it's saying, I want to do this, but I do something else. And Lord, I'm so thankful that in your word, you show us example after example of individuals that battled with the same thing, not so we can sit back and say, oh, well, if the Apostle Paul battled with it, then it's no big deal. I'm fine. But so we can see example after example of individuals that when they realized their shortcomings, surrendered them to you, you were able to strengthen them and grow them and mature them so that, Lord, as they walked with you more and more, They saw less and less hypocrisy and more and more Jesus Christ in their lives. And so Lord, I pray that we would understand this balance. I know that it's tough for us as human beings to understand. I know we like to think in ends of extreme, in terms of extreme. uh, It's either legalism or it's do whatever you want. But Lord, I pray that we would avoid both of those spectrum ends and walk in the middle in the balance that is your word. That is, we are called to live Christ-like. We're to be holy as you are holy according to your word. But when we fall when we fall short, that your grace is for us. And I pray we would understand that this morning. Thank you, Father, for your word, your wisdom, and your guidance. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It cannot be, Jesus' point here to the religious leaders, it cannot be merely an outward show. There must be inward change. There cannot be just outward show. There must be inward change. Let me just stop for a second. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not I mean, if it, you have not, at a place in your life, stopped and said, I believe that I've sinned. I believe that I've, I've violated God's law. I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, was buried for my sin. I believe that he rose again on the third day, and I confess my sins before him. I ask him to forgive me of my sins. I receive him as my Savior. I trust in him as my Savior. I surrender my life. I just want to be his. If you have not, in a place in your life, made a decision... And it doesn't got to be all those words, by the way. It doesn't got to be this fancy theological prayer. But if in your heart you have not cried out to him, asked him to forgive you and to save you from your sins, then this morning you being here does nothing for you spiritually. If you're sitting in this room and you have not received Christ, when you stand before God one day, he is not going to say, okay, well, how many times did you go to church? Okay, we'll put checks in those columns. Okay, how many times did you sin? Okay, we'll put checks over there. You can't go to church enough to wipe it away if even you could. So if you're sitting here and you don't know Christ, it's not about looking good on the outside. It's not about doing the righteous things on the outside and just being a good person and and helping people across the street. And those things are good and fine, but it doesn't change the inward hearts. Jesus says, man, you can look really good on the outside. And by the way, the Pharisees looked really good on the outside. They were good at showing off their, their righteousness. But Jesus says, if there's no inward change, there's no change. It doesn't work that way. 
And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, then maybe this morning you would trust him and find that truth of the gospel, be set free from your sin, and begin to walk and understand what it is to live the abundant life because he loves you that much. He loves you that much that he died for you and rose again. So as we try to understand how to deal with hypocritical people in a loving way, it leads us to ask the question, when we're dealing with somebody who's a hypocritical person, somebody that does something that way, why are they acting like that? Why are they acting like that? In a relationship with someone that's acting hypocritical, why are they acting this way? Why do they say one thing and do another? The first thing we have to note and maybe think about is maybe they don't really know God. Speaking specifically of Christians here, maybe they don't really know God. We wonder, why does somebody act this way? Why do they not do this or act this way? Or why do they act this way and not that way? Maybe they don't really know God. First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. I do, again, hope you brought your Bibles with you. We're going to go to just a few different verses this morning. And so I appreciate you having the Word of God with you. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, uh, you can get it on our app. There's a, on, the de- on your device, you can get the app, and there's a Bible app on there. Uh, you can also uh, let us know after service today. We'd love to give you a Bible at the Welcome Center. Uh, just our way of kind of making sure you have the Word of God for yourself. Maybe they don't really know God. First John 2 and verse 4 says here, He that saith, I know him, and keeps not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now that is not flowery. And this is, again, we're going to step back for a second. And really we need to think about Jesus and what Jesus taught in the right lens. Um, Jesus wasn't a hippie. Jesus wasn't a soft-spoken, lovey-dovey, hugging on everybody. Oh, it's fine. Mm, Praise the Lord. Okay, that's not Jesus. Okay? We think about that. He floats around everywhere, never says a harsh word. Nobody ever. If that's how Jesus was, nobody would want to crucify him. The religious leaders wouldn't be mad at him. It's amazing. And I heard an author say this, and I've kind of done this, but I've never done it the way he said it. I'm going to try to do that sometime here in the near future. He said, go through the Gospels and just write down all the things or look at all the things that Jesus says. And he says, when you get to something that's kind of like flowery or like mushy is how he said it, highlight that with like a, maybe a, a yellow highlighter. When you get the things that are more harsh things and more strong worded things, maybe underline that in black, mark, or black uh, pen. And he said, you know what's amazing? By the time you get done, you'll have way more in the harsh firm, kind of in-your-face comments than you will in the other column. And we think, no, 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 but Jesus said love and love and love. He does say love, but he also tells us what true love is and what true love means. And man, often Jesus says very harsh things. And so we get to the epistle of John here. John, again, being the writer of the gospel of John and the epistle of John, we think John was kind of a little effeminate. We think John, because he wrote John 3.16, a lot about love in the Gospel of John. But when you read these words, John was very pointed, very straightforward. He says, he that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. What is John saying here? John is saying, listen, there are going to be people that say, oh, I know God, I know God, I know God, I know God. But yet, they're not really living for him. They're not following what he said. They're not doing what God asked them to do. And there's a point where you have to say, man, does this person even really know God? Or does he just know of God? We cannot expect Christian behavior from unchristian people. We can't expect people who don't know Christ to live in Christ-like ways. And then when we get mad at them for not living like Jesus, we're the ones that are committing the wrong. 
This is why establishing a relationship is so vital. Because if there's someone in your life that you're struggling with this with, and you say, I don't know if they know Christ or not, then you don't start with their hypocrisy. You start with Jesus. If you don't know if somebody really knows Christ in a relationship and they're struggling with hypocrisy, you don't go, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did this. I can't You start with Jesus. And you establish, do you even know Christ? We talked about unfair expectations. And while it seems to us as obvious that someone should or shouldn't do this or that, that is because as a follower of Christ, you have the Spirit's leading and wisdom from his word. This is what people will say. Well, they should just know you're not supposed to do that. They should just know you can't do that. Well, in a sense, they have a conscience. They have an understanding of common sense, we hope. And don't laugh there, okay? But, you know, you think most people would know that's wrong. But if they don't know Christ, why would you start with that sin? Start with Jesus and introduce them to Christ. And if they don't know him, now they can get to know him. And now the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, through the working of the word, will start to deal with their hypocrisy. And they'll start to understand some things. And then maybe you'll be brought in at some point to encourage and strengthen with the word of God and to challenge them in the things of God. But it will come under the wisdom of Christ, not the wisdom of man. If you don't know where to start, start with the gospel. See, maybe they don't even know him, really. We did a series called Christian Atheists a couple, uh, I don't know if it was a year, year and a half ago. And the whole idea was that a lot of people say they know God, but they really know of God. They know about God but they don't really know God, an intimate relationship with them. Do you know if you read statistics, the vast number of Americans claim to be Christian? Vast. Uh, Not as of 10, 12 years ago, it was as high as like 80% of Americans claim to be Christians. Now, I'm not the smartest man, but when I look at this book and I see what the church and what believers are supposed to be doing and what the culture, what happens around them, I don't know that I would say 80% of our culture is Christian. I would say that there's a lot of our culture that knows about God, knows of God, goes to church maybe a couple times a year because that's what their family's always done since they were little. They know about God, they know of God, but they don't really know him. And so isn't it an amazing blessing that we get to introduce people to Jesus Christ? Man, what a glorious, blessed opportunity we have to take somebody who's wayward, who doesn't understand the weight of their sin, and introduce them to the one that can forgive them of their sin and set them for eternity in heaven. And we get to be a part of that. So maybe we start a conversation and start to get to know the person and not just jump on the hypocrisy, but find out, do you know Jesus? Do you know Christ? Not of him, not about him, but do you really know him? Or, not maybe they don't know him, or maybe they don't know better yet. Maybe they don't know better yet. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Maybe they don't know him really. Or maybe they know Christ. They've been saved, but they don't know better yet. They don't know better yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. It says here in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, real quick, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in the city of Corinth. He's writing to believers here. And so that's how we know this is speaking in context to the church, to somebody that knows Christ. He says this, And I, brethren, and there's that word again, brothers, there's this connection through Christ, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now some of you are going to like really run with that, okay? The Bible just said I'm a babe, Okay. Yes, sure, go with that. You want to go be a babe for Jesus. That's great, okay? But 
What he's saying here is actually not babe good looking, okay? But what? Babe child. You know what he's saying? I wanted to tell you all this, but you're not, you're not there yet. You're too immature for this. You're, you're, you're not there yet. You're still on the milk of the word, if you will. And the milk of the word is not bad. But we, let me ask you a question. If there was somebody in this room right now that was 30 years old and they lived on milk, that's it. They never got to the meat of, of experiencing real solid food, but they just lived on milk. I wouldn't be a healthy person. Why? Because there's a time for that. And when a, when a child is a newborn, there's a time to prepare them for that. But what? Sooner or later, you've got to transition them to what? To solid food. That's what Paul uses an illustration of. He says, yeah, you start off in the milk of the word, which is the gospel, and it's kind of getting you going, and it's getting you started. And it's okay to even go back to that every now and then, right? Who doesn't love a nice, tall, cold glass of milk every now and then? You know what I'm saying? Okay? But, man, we can't live on that. we got to get into the meat of the word. we got to grow in Christ. And Paul says, you, you, I want to tell you these things, but you're not there yet. You're not there yet. Paul says the believers were like infants, still immature in their faith and needed not to be ridiculed, but discipled and trained in the things of God. We have churches all over the place that preach the gospel effectively and get great results through their zeal. We desire people to come to know Christ in response to the Great Commission. But however, the Great Commission doesn't just leave people saved and undiscipled. The Great Commission leaves people saved, discipled, and reproducing. Matthew 28, 19-20, I have it here in my notes uh, for time's sake. If you'd like to turn there, you can, but you don't have to. I'll just read it to you. But is the Great Commission just about seeing people saved? Jesus said this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That word nations there is really the word for people groups, ethnic families, different people groups all over the world, not just nations as far as Italy, England, these kind of things, but individual people groups. It says, Go ye therefore teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Again, there's the Trinity right through Scripture. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What is the point of the Great Commission? It is to see people come to know Christ as Savior, but it's not to stop there. It's to take them from the gospel to following Christ and believers' baptism and then to discipling them in the things of Christ, discipling them in the Word of God. And so often we get so frustrated with Christians that are hypocritical, but we have to stop and say, but am I doing what I need to do to disciple these believers? Am I doing what I need to do and allowed to do and blessed to do by helping my brothers and sisters in Christ to be trained up in the things of God so that I can help them to see what God's word actually says, that's what Jesus commanded in the Great Commission. He said, yes, go and teach. That first teach is the idea of the gospel. Give the gospel to all nations. Then comes baptism. By the way, baptism in the scriptures always follows belief, not precedes. The only time baptism preceded belief was when John the Baptist baptized in the wilderness. And he even said, I'm doing this to prepare you for the Messiah to come. Once Jesus came, died on the cross, and rose again, baptism from that point till today is always after salvation, looking back to, our, to the cross. And so here we see this process again. Baptism follows salvation, and then we see discipleship, encouraging them in the things of God. So maybe they don't really know God. Maybe that's why they're being hypocritical. They don't really know him intimately. Maybe they know him, but they don't know better yet because they're not grown in those areas. And that's the gift we get as believers come alongside them. I've always said this, and I will always say this. As a previous youth pastor, 
your influence over the next generation is crucial. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, okay, maybe you don't have children, but you're a mature believer and you can look back and say, but I can encourage this young man or this young woman. The Bible is chock full. Even John says, man, older men go to the younger men. Older women go to the younger women. Why? To encourage them, to strengthen them. But a lot of times what happens is people in this generation, the older generation, look back and ridicule at the younger generation and point out all the faults and the failures and the mistakes and stop to realize, wait a minute, but we raised that generation. I'm always amazed by that. I, I can only be so critical of this generation and what my kids do when I, until I step back and realize, but wait, I'm raising that that generation. We're going to be so careful here that we, we can say, yes, this is wrong, and I don't agree with that. That's fine. But don't just jump to that. Say, maybe I can help them along this process. So maybe they don't know God. Maybe they don't know better yet. Or maybe they know better, but still disobey God. Maybe they know better, but they still disobey God. This is a tough one, isn't it? And you know why it's really a tough one? Because it's a tough one for us individually too, isn't it? That's a tough one for me individually. When I know better, but I still disobey God. Two verses you can jot down. We're just going to go to one for time's sake, but I want to encourage you to give you both of them. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Write that one down. And then 1 Peter 2.16. We're going to go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.16. 1 Peter 2.16 is where we're going to be. And, and I want to read this and I want you to understand this is an encouraging verse. This is an encouraging verse. It's meant to give us a, a, a lifting up of our spirit to go, okay, now I have wisdom about this. Now I can act in a way that would glorify God. 1 Peter 2.16. And again, I, I want to go here because I love that who's writing this to us. Peter was a man that if you read the Gospels, and I've said this before, but he was not the most ideal follower of Christ in the Gospels, was he? Many blew it sometimes. We talked about it. He tried to control Jesus, keep him from going to the cross. If you want to have a resume with God, don't keep the Messiah from going to the cross. Okay, it's not a good idea. But look at how he's grown. Look at how he's matured from what we read in the book of, or in the Gospels, even in the book of Acts, uh, through that transition. I mean, they, Peter had to deal with prejudice. Uh, read Acts chapter 10. Peter dealt with prejudice against Gentiles and against all these things. He was still battling with this legalistic mindset, and Jesus had to set him free from that, had to grow him through that. But look at 1 Peter 2.16. Listen to what Peter says to the, to the believers. He says, as free. Man, you're free today in Christ, aren't you? Are you free today from sin and from bondage? Free from fear? I've always, it's amazing to me, there's trends in, in the Christian circles. And right now, I swear, every Christian song has the word free in it somewhere. Have you noticed this? It's good, it's great, it's fine. But like so many praise songs, I'm like, oh, that's a really good praise song. I wonder when they're going to talk about being free. Oh, there it is, okay? It's just worked in there because that's something that for some reason right now, in Christian circles, this is something that's really being just advocated and pointed out, this idea of being free in Christ. And I'm so thankful that we're free in Christ, amen? I'm so thankful I don't have to live under 633 commands every single day, week, month, or year, trying to make sure I do everything right to keep God happy or else I'm going to lose whatever relationship I have with him. I'm so thankful that God has fulfilled the law through Christ, not doing away with the law, but fulfilling the law where I was failing and I could not. Christ came in and did it and finished it and said, it is finished on the cross. I've done what you've called me to do. And now those that trust in me are free. 
Man, Peter's so clear in this. He says, as free. That is our condition in Christ. We are not bound. We are free. But listen to what he says. This is the balance of Christianity. This is the, where extremes get us in trouble. As free. And not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. Not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of God. Then he goes on to say in verse 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Man, that's, how do we do that? You see what he's saying? He's giving a kind of a compare and contrast. Don't use your liberty to hide sin and to hide wrongdoing. No, no, use your liberty to love the brotherhood. What does that mean? To love the church. To fear God. Now, how can we be free and fear? I thought, I thought freedom set us free from fear. What does it mean to fear God? And this is where we'll say things like this. Well, that just means we should revere God and respect God. We try to soften it up a little bit, don't we? Uh, no, well, it doesn't mean God's up there with a big stick ready to pounce you. Of course, that he's not going to do that. But we say that because we want people to feel nice and safe and comfortable. But the truth is, what does it really mean to fear God? It's not just revering God and respecting God. It's understanding he is God. And I am not. What does Isaiah say? Man, he sits above the earth and looks down, and we're but as grasshoppers. (laughs) Now, I know it's been a while. It's kind of cold out. It's been a while since you've seen a grasshopper, okay? You're like, I think I remember what that was. I saw one last July, I think, before it started snowing, okay? Think about, why why do you say that? He's saying just the vastness. So when we talk about fearing God, yes, it doesn't mean God's up there with a rod of correction ready to pounce on us, of course. Grace has saved us and we're redeemed by Jesus Christ. We're not fearing God that way. But man, I have a hard time when people just have this lackadaisical attitude about God when every time you read in Scripture, somebody even was in the presence of God, they fell down like dead men. Now, we need to be careful here that our liberty doesn't create this Christianity where it's like, well, God's cool with whatever I do. We, we start to kind of chip away at the holiness of God. We chip away at the, 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 the majesty of God. And we start to think that I can get away with it because God ultimately understands, and I'll just throw the grace card out there. Be so careful here. Peter says, listen, you are free, praise God, but, or and, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, don't, don't sin and then say, it's fine. It's fine. Grace, it's fine. I have liberty to do this. I've been set free. He says, no, honor all men. Paul says similar things when he talks about respecting each other. You can disagree with them, but you got to love them. You can draw a line in the say, we can't be best friends because I think what you're doing is going gonna, is gonna to hurt me spiritually or physically. I can't, I can't be around that, but I love you and I honor you and I pray for you. It says, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. There's another one we struggle with. Now, we don't have a king, right? So culturally speaking, what is he talking about? Those that have authority over you. For us, it would be the president, the government, if you will. You don't have to agree with what the government does. I agree with very little, if anything, of what the government does. Just being real, okay? Sometimes I'm like, it's more like a junior high playground than it is Congress, okay? It's just, uh, come on. Well, he did, and I didn't like what you did, so I'm not going to do what you want to do. That's the conversation my 8-year-old and my 11-year-old have with each other about Xbox, okay? 
I don't want to give in because he didn't give in last time I did this, blah, 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 blah. And we think, I'm right, he's wrong, I'm just going to do it my way. Man, we got to be so careful. We can disagree with that, but we have to what? Honor the king. What does that mean? We should be praying for our president. We should be praying for him to have wisdom and guidance and direction and that, that God would use him to, to set forth policies that would, that would encourage positive things in our world. We can disagree with him. Listen, for, for all the years that President Obama was in office, I agreed with, or disagreed with almost everything he did. But it's not my place to, I mean, I need to be praying for him. I, I remember I told one person one time, I said, how awesome would it be if the president got saved? This was back when, he, when President Obama was in office. And this person said, not him. There's no way he'd ever get saved. Wow. Man, we got to be so careful here. Peter says, no, no, why do we have liberty? Why do we have grace? Why can we live in this way? Because we can do things that encourage the things of God. Man, Peter says very carefully here, we got to be careful not to use our liberty as a cloak, as a hiding for our sin. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever known, don't answer out loud, but have you ever known that God did not want you to do or to say something and yet you bypassed that knowledge and did it anyway? You ever been in a situation where you knew whether from God's word or directly you understood it because you learned from experience, you weren't going to do, you shouldn't do or say something, and yet you did it anyway. You bypassed that knowledge and did it anyway. The Bible describes this as what's called willful rebellion, willful sin. It is the worst in Scripture. One of the worst descriptions of sin is willful rebellion. Ignorant sin is one thing. It's still sin, but it's that sin where it says, when David says in Psalms, if there's anything that I'm even going to do that is sin or that I have done to sin that I'm unaware of, would you forgive me? That's good prayer right there. Lord, forgive me for the things I've done wrong. And if there's even anything I've ever done that was wrong that I don't even know is wrong, would you forgive me for that? That's transparency. That's understanding I could do stuff that's wrong that I don't even know is wrong. And so God, would you cover me for that? Would you forgive me for that? But this willful rebellion is where I know not to do something, and in the heat of the moment, I do it anyway. And what Peter says is the sin is when we go, but it's okay because I'm covered in grace. Yes, you're forgiven. Yes, you're not going to lose your salvation. Praise God. You're, you're still saved, amen. That's great. But it's, it's our hearts. It's our attitude towards God that needs to be watched in those moments. We must not let our liberty and grace lead to sin. Quickly, how do we wrap this up? How do we apply this this morning in our own lives? We look at these situations and say, okay, do they know God really? If they know God, maybe they just don't know better yet. Or maybe they know and they do it anyway. So Lord, help me to love them and encourage them with the word of God. Two things I would encourage you to do. Actually, three things that I would encourage you to do. Prayerful uh, confrontation. As you go to try to talk to this person, as you go to present this person and go to have a conversation with this person that's hypocritical. This is somebody that knows Christ, but does it anyway. Knows better, but does it anyway. Prayerful confrontation. First thing we have to do is we start with this prayer. God, help me to see when I'm a hypocrite. We have to start here. God, help me to see where I'm a hypocrite. Write it down, Second Samuel chapter 12. Verses 5 through 7, many of you know the story of David, sins with Bathsheba, tries to cover it all up. Nathaniel the prophet comes and tells this amazing story about a man that had a sheep and the sheep was taken and slaughtered and for this man that had all these sheep and, and he wanted this guy's sheep. And anyway, he tells this whole story and David gets so mad and so mad and so mad and he says, who is this man? 
Bring him in here that we can punish him and judge him and bring justice. And Nathaniel, I can only imagine, maybe even with a little shaking in his voice, points a finger at David and says, David, you are the man. See, sometimes we got to look inward and say, am I being, before I get so riled up against you and how dare you, and I can't believe you, God would, maybe I need to do a little introspection and say, maybe, maybe there's something going on in here I need to deal with. We need to individually repent and turn back to Christ. His grace is for you and will restore you. There is no reason to hang your head. You make a decision, you repent, you trust Christ for his grace, and you move on. So first, we ask God to help me to see where I'm being a hypocrite. Secondly, we, help God, or we ask God to help me confront with a heart to restore. A heart to restore. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. We'll go there. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. So we say, God, help me to see where I'm being a hypocrite. God, help me to confront with a heart to restore. Galatians 6 and verse 1. It says here, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, basically can mean a, a sin or a situation, he's overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, listen, when you go to that person, and he says, you which are spiritual, that's the only qualification. Some people say, well, it's not my place to talk to them. I mean, they're my friend. I love them. They're my family member, but I'm not a trained psychologist. I'm not a trained counselor. I don't want to say the wrong thing. You know, what we do is we go to that person and we say, listen, because I love you, because I care for you. I know you know Christ. We've, you've discussed that with me. I know you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Man, listen, my heart is breaking for you. I know we all struggle. We all battle. But I'm seeing this thing in your life, and I'm seeing how it's affecting you, and it's destroying you and your relationships. And you go one-on-one in love and meekness and humility. And you say, listen, I just want to help you. What can I do for you? Can I pray with you? How can I help you in this situation? Then he says, because you may be tempted. You know what he's saying there? Because you may be tempted with the very same thing and end up giving in and need somebody to come to you. And I think in churches today, there's a lot of people that are like, well, it's not my place to say anything. There are sometimes you don't have a relationship, you don't have a connection, you don't have that, that influence, then maybe, yes, you don't say something right away. Maybe you go to a spiritual leader and you say, listen, this is what I'm seeing. I don't know what to do. Can you intervene or give me wisdom on this? But if you have a relationship with the person, if it's somebody that you know and they trust you and you love one another, there's a connection there, then I don't see biblically any reason you can't go to them and just share, I want to pray for you, and I love you. We go with a heart of meekness, the Bible says. We don't go to condone the sin. We don't go to encourage sin. We go to encourage Christ-likeness and repentance. It's never about embarrassing or shaming someone. It's never about embarrassing or shaming someone. It's about restoration. It's about restoration. The person may not understand that, so make sure your heart is motivated purely because you may get a lot of defensive responses. You may get, even from someone that knows Christ, a lot of, who are you to judge me? You don't really know what you're talking about. How dare you? And you just lovingly and graciously say, I'm really sorry that that's how you're feeling this is coming across, but I want you to know my heart is for you. And I love you and I want the best for you. And I'm not trying to judge you. We all have sin. We all have struggles. I just, I, and this is what I, I've told people this. I would hope that if I do what you're going through, if I was going through that, that you would come to me in this way. 
It's not about embarrassing someone. Listen, we, we find this hard to believe, again, because we have the wrong mindset of Jesus sometimes. Do you know the first thing Jesus told his, about the, uh, talked about with the church? First thing Jesus mentioned about the church, when the church would be established, the first thing he brought up was church discipline. The first thing he said was, when there's an, a, a difference and an offense between the, someone in the church, you go one-on-one, you go two-on-one, you bring it for, before the church. That was the first thing he really talked about with dealing with the church. He says the first thing was to deal with conflict, to deal with somebody in sin, and he says you need to do it this way. And in most churches today, we run as far away from that as possible because we've seen it done horribly wrong. We've seen it done to embarrass, to shame, to ridicule, and to tear down instead of to build up for restoration. And so don't let churches that have screwed this up in the past make you think that God is okay with sin and that it's never your place to go to a brother or a sister, depending on relationship, and say, this is what I'm seeing. How can I pray for you? I mean, we need to pray and say, God, help me to see where I'm being hypocritical. First and foremost, Secondly, we need to say, God, help me to confront with a heart to restore. And thirdly, we need to say, God, help me to confront carefully. Help me to confront carefully. One more verse, and then we're going to wrap it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. We need to go and, and ask God and say, God, help me to confront carefully. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says here, Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Man, we need to go so carefully with the right attitude, the right mindset. We never go in arrogance. We never go as though we've arrived. Listen, I've been around the church for a long time, not just our church, but Christianity for a long time. More than half my life has been around the church. I've attended a Bible college. I've been around Christian students, missionary kids, pastor's kids, had tons of conversations with different people. And there's this mindset in churches where once we hit a certain age or a certain point in life, we think somehow I've heard enough of the Bible that I'm now good. I've arrived. I know it all. I'm good. There's nothing you can tell me. I'm right about everything. I'm never wrong. You're always wrong. This whole mindset. And then we go to other people that way, and we go with an arrogance and a boldness as though we somehow have arrived and we're standing and we're never going to fall. Man, the Apostle Paul says at the end of his life, I just want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. A man that wrote a third of the New Testament says at the end of his life, I just want to know you more. So my caution to all of us, myself included, if you've been around the church a long time and you think you've got it all figured out, please be careful because that's the weakest and the most dangerous place to be as a follower of Christ. You're the most open to temptation in that moment. You're the most open to attack in that moment when you think you've arrived. We go carefully. We don't go sheepishly. Hear me now. We don't go to a conversation with someone that we know is in sin, a follower of Christ that is doing it. They know what's wrong. They just don't care. We don't go sheepishly. We're not, oh, well, if you'd like to kind of maybe do, you know, I I just, I don't know. I mean, I kind of think, you know. No, 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 no. Why are we going? With what, what authority are we going to them? Not me. I mean, listen, this is what God's word says. And then we go in love and say, this book says that if you continue down this road, it's going to destroy you. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for your family. So would you just, man, would you, would you see this, please? 
And the word of God is so clear over and over again. We go in love, we go in love, but we go with this authority saying, this is what it says. And listen, it's okay to say, there's, there's some expectations here. There's some things we need to look at here and say, how can I help you to grow in Christ? Do you have a relationship with the person you're going to? Is there a reason why they should trust you? Before you accuse them, ask questions, have a conversation. Establish, do they even know that the Bible says this behavior is wrong? So we need to be so careful here. The key to living our lives as followers of Christ is a non, in a non-hypocritical way is to die. The key to live our life as followers of Christ in a non-hypocritical way is to die. What do I mean by that? We have to die to self. We have to die to sin. And we have to allow the life of Christ to live through us. We will be his followers as he lives through us. We will reflect his glory, not in a legalistic way, but as an overflowing of understanding his love and death for us. Jesus taught that death always precedes life. He demonstrated this truth on the cross when he died that we might live. And we see this when we die to sin and receive Christ. We have eternal life. And when we choose to live as a dead man, alive in Christ, we will experience the abundant life of Christ, which is now possible. And how do I live for Christ in a non-hypocritical way? Not how do other people, but how do I It's a constant, daily walk with Christ. Lord, today, I pray that I would die to myself and I would die to sin. I would pick up my cross and I would follow you. I want to live for you today. I want you to be on my mind today. I want you to be in my words today. It doesn't mean you're not going to blow it. It doesn't mean you're not going to trip and fall at times. But when you do, you say, God, would you forgive me for that? I repent of that. And would you pick me up? And be so thankful for believers that come alongside you and encourage you to grow. I've always said it, and I'll say it. It's the greatest illustration. If somebody was driving 80 miles an hour towards a cliff, and you love that person, you would not love them enough. You would love them enough to say, "You need to stop. This is going to hurt you." You wouldn't say, "Well, because I love you, I don't want to put any walls around you. So you can go do what you want." It's silliness. We would try to intervene if we can. But here's the kicker. This is where we want to end on this with all of these relationship topics. You can't control anyone. You can't make someone do what is right. That's not in your power, and that's not for you to do. All you're called to do is encourage with the word of God and then make sure you're doing what you need to be doing. And so if you know a controlling person that's still controlling, a critical person that's still critical, a needy person that's still needy, or a hypocritical person that's still hypocritical, that is not for you to control them and make them better. You try to do all you can to intervene and love and encourage and support and pray for them. And, but at the end of the day, that individual or individuals have to decide how they're going to move forward. Don't put that weight on you. That's not your job. It's not your job to save them, and it's not your job to grow them. They have to choose that. I want to encourage you guys with this this morning. I, I know these are some difficult topics, and I know that a lot of us are going to wrestle with these things over the next couple of days and think about these things. I pray that you would allow God to lead you through his word and say, God, what, did you, what would you have me to do in these relationships, and how would you be glorified? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are, and the band's going to come and close our service in a time of invitation. And as your heads are bowed there where you are, I just I pray that you would know that my heart is for you, My heart is for this church. 
my prayer for the last month and even before starting this series was that God would use this series to set people free, set us free from unhealthy relationships, but also help us to love those individuals while we're drawing lines. My prayer has been that we will evaluate our own lives and see where we need to grow and make changes. My prayer is that we would understand grace and see how that can set us free, but also it allows us to be responsible to him. So in all these things, and I know there's so much we could talk about, keep going, but I just pray that that you would just desire God to use you to make a difference, not just in the mission field, but in your own families, in your own lives. So whatever God is leading, would you respond to him this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I know that we all struggle. There is no one in this room that is perfect. We all have areas of our life where when we honestly look into our lives, we realize, man, I really need to grow in this area. But I'm so thankful that when we see our shortcomings, you see Jesus Christ. That we are saved from our sins. That we are made new. That we are free. That our salvation is not in what we do or how we do it. Our salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. I'm so thankful that grace has extended to us that we can be saved from our sins. And my prayer, Lord, is that as we know Christ intimately, that we would desire to grow in Christ, not to keep our salvation, but as a reflection and an overflow of your love for us. And so, Lord, help us understand what it is to live a Christ-like life, not in a legalistic, fearful way, but in a way of trusting in you and believing in you and seeing you do great things through our lives. Father, would you be glorified in all of this? Give us wisdom in all these things. And Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, I pray that they would come to know you. I pray that they would stop hiding in pride and religious works and realize they need Jesus Christ alone. And so maybe there's somebody in this room, Lord, that when we go to prayer, that they would just cry out and say, Lord, would you save me? Would you forgive me of my sins that I would live for you? Father, may you move, lead, guide, and direct in all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Some are already at the altar. Would you come this morning if you want to come and pray? Maybe you want to stand and sing with us and rejoice in the Lord. Maybe you want to come and pray and say, God, help me in this area. I need to grow. I need to improve in this. Would you strengthen me here and there? Would you respond to him this morning as we sing?